welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all your brothers and sisters in spirit. If not though, let us keep working on it with our own mighty I Am Presence in preparation for mankind's elevation of consciousness and our movement into those broader dimensions. Because it's coming. Amen. It's a now late tonight, y'all. So I'm in and out. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. Initiation, or the process of undergoing an expansion of consciousness, is part of the normal process of evolutionary development, viewed on a large scale, and not from the standpoint of the individual. When viewed from the individual's standpoint it has come to be narrowed down to the moment wherein the evolving unit definitely apprehends that, by dint of his own effort, aided by the advice and suggestions of the watching teachers of the race, he has reached a point wherein a certain range of knowledge of a subjective nature, from the physical plane point of view, is his. It is in the nature of that experience wherein a pupil in a school realizes suddenly that he has mastered a lesson, and that the rationale of a subject, and the method of procedure, are his to use intelligently. These moments of intelligent apprehension follow the evolving monad throughout his long pilgrimage. What has been misinterpreted somewhat at this stage of comprehension is the fact that at various periods the emphasis is laid on different grades of expansion, and always the hierarchy endeavors to bring the race to the point where its units will have some idea of the next step to be taken. Each initiation marks the passing of the pupil in the Hall of Wisdom into a higher class, marks the clearer shining forth of the inner fire and the transition from one point of polarization to another, entails the realization of an increasing unity with all that lives and the essential oneness of the self with all selves. It results in a horizon that continuously enlarges until it includes the sphere of creation, it is a grown capacity to see and hear on all the planes. It is an increased consciousness of God's plans for the world, and an increased ability to enter into those plans and to further them. It is the effort in the abstract mind to pass an examination. It is the honor class in the master's school, and is within the attainment of those souls whose karma permits and whose efforts suffice to fulfill the aim. Initiation leads to the mount whence vision can be had, a vision of the eternal now wherein past, present, and future exist as one, a vision of the pageant of the races with the golden thread of pedigree carried through the many types, a vision of the golden sphere that holds in unison all the many evolutions of our system, deva, human, animal, vegetable, mineral, and elemental, and through which the pulsating life can be clearly seen beating in regular rhythm, a vision of the logoic thought form on the archetypal plane, a vision that grows from initiation to initiation until it embraces all the solar system. Initiation leads to the stream that, once entered, sweeps a man onward until it carries him to the feet of the Lord of the world, to the feet of his Father in heaven, to the feet of the threefold Logos. 
Initiation leads to the cave within whose circumscribing walls the pairs of opposites are known, and the secret of good and evil is revealed. It leads to the cross and to that utter sacrifice which must transpire before perfect liberation is attained, and the initiate stands free of all earth's fetters, held by naught in the three worlds. It leads through the hall of wisdom and puts into a man's hands the key to all information, systemic and cosmic, in graduated sequence. It reveals the hidden mystery that lies at the heart of the solar system. It leads from one state of consciousness to another. As each state is entered the horizon enlarges, the vista extends, and the comprehension includes more and more, until the expansion reaches a point where the self embraces all selves, including all that is moving and unmoving, as phrased by an ancient scripture. Initiation involves ceremony. It is this aspect that has been emphasized in the minds of men, perhaps a little to the exclusion of the true significance. Primarily it involves the capacity to see, hear, and comprehend and to synthesize and correlate knowledge. It does not necessarily involve the development of the psychic faculties, but it does entail the inner comprehension that sees the value underlying the form, and recognizes the purpose of pervading circumstances. It is the capacity that senses the lesson to be learned from any given occurrence and event, and that by means of these comprehensions and recognitions affects an hourly, weekly, yearly growth and expansion. This process of gradual expansion, the result of the definite effort and strenuous right thinking and living of the aspirant himself, and not of some occult teacher performing an occult right, leads to what one might term a crisis. At this crisis, which necessitates the aid of a master, a definite act of initiation is performed, which, acting on a particular center, produces a result on some one body. It keys the atoms to a certain pitch, and enables a new rate of rhythm to be attained. This ceremony of initiation marks a point of attainment. It does not bring about attainment, as is so often the misconception. It simply marks the recognition by the watching teachers of the race, of a definite point in evolution reached by the pupil, and gives two things, one, an expansion of consciousness that admits the personality, into the wisdom attained by the ego, and in the higher initiations into the consciousness of the monad. Two, a brief period of enlightenment wherein the initiate sees that portion of the path that lies ahead to be trodden, and wherein he shares consciously in the great plan of evolution. After initiation, the work to be done consists largely in making that expansion of consciousness part of the equipment for the practical use of the personality, and in mastering that portion of the path that has yet to be traversed. The ceremony of initiation takes place on the three higher sub-planes of the mental plane, and on the three higher planes, according to the initiation. The five-pointed star, at the initiations on the mental plane, flashes out above the head of the initiate. This concerns the first initiations which are undergone in the causal vehicle. It has been said that the first two initiations take place upon the astral plane, but this is incorrect, and the statement has given rise to a misunderstanding. They are felt profoundly in connection with the astral and physical bodies, and the lower mental, and affect their control. The chief effect being felt in those bodies the initiate may interpret them as having taken place on the planes concerned, as the vividness of the effect and the stimulation of the first two initiations work out largely in the astral body. But it must ever be remembered that the major initiations are taken in the causal body or, dissociated from that body, on the buddhic plane or atmic plane. At the final two initiations which set a man free from the three worlds, and enable him to function in the body of vitality of the logos and wield that force, the initiate becomes the five-pointed star, and it descends upon him, merges in him, and he is seen at its very center. This descent is brought about by the action of the initiator, 
wielding the rod of power, and puts a man in touch with the center in the body of the planetary logos of which he is a part, and this consciously. The two initiations called the sixth and seventh take place on the buddhic and atmic planes, the five-pointed star blazes forth from within itself, as the esoteric phrase has it, and becomes the seven-pointed star, it descends upon the man, and he enters within the flame. Again, the four initiations, prior to that of the adept, mark respectively the attainment of certain proportions of atomic matter in the bodies, for instance, at the first initiation one-fourth atomic matter, at the second one-half atomic matter, at the third, three-quarters atomic matter, and so on to the completion. Since Buddha is the unifying principle, or the welder of all, at the fifth initiation the adept lets the lower vehicles go and stands in his buddhic sheath. He creates thence his body of manifestation. Each initiation gives more control on the rays, if one may so express it, although this does not adequately convey the idea. Words so often mislead. At the fifth initiation, when the adept stands master in the three worlds, he controls more or less, according to his line of development, the five rays that are specially manifesting at the time he takes the initiation. At the sixth initiation, if he takes the higher degree, he gains power on another ray, and at the seventh initiation he wields power on all the rays. The sixth initiation marks the point of attainment of the Christ, and brings the synthetic ray of the system under his control. We need to remember that initiation gives the initiate power on the rays, and not power over the rays, for this marks a very definite difference. Every initiate has, of course, for his primary or spiritual ray one of the three major rays, and the ray of his monad is the one on which he at length, gains power. The love ray, or the synthetic ray of the system, is the final one achieved. A point that we need to grasp is that each successive initiation brings about a more complete unification of the personality and the ego, and on higher levels still, with the monad. The whole evolution of the human spirit is a progressive at one meant. In the at one meant between the ego and the personality lies hid the mystery of the Christian doctrine of the atonement. One unification takes place at the moment of individualization, when man becomes a conscious rational entity, in contradistinction to the animals. As evolution proceeds successive at one meant occur. At one meant on all levels, emotional, intuitional, spiritual, and divine, consists in conscious, continuous functioning. In all cases it is preceded by a burning, through the medium of the inner fire, and by the destruction, through sacrifice, of all that separates. The approach to unity is through destruction of the lower, and of all that forms a barrier. Take, in illustration, the web that separates the etheric body and the emotional. When that web has been burned away by the inner fire, the communication between the bodies of the personality becomes continuous and complete, and the three lower vehicles function as one. You have a somewhat analogous situation on the higher levels, though the parallel cannot be pushed to detail. The intuition corresponds to the emotional, and the four higher levels of the mental plane to the etheric. In the destruction of the causal body at the time of the fourth initiation, called symbolically the crucifixion, you have a process analogous to the burning of the web that leads to the unification of the bodies of the personality. The disintegration that is a part of the Arhat initiation leads to unity between the ego and the monad, expressing itself in the triad. It is the perfect at one meant. The whole process is therefore for the purpose of making man consciously one. First, with himself, and those in incarnation with him. Second, with his higher self, and thus with all selves. Third, with his spirit, or father in heaven, and thus with all monads. Fourth, with the logos, the three in one and the one in three. 
man becomes a conscious human being through the instrumentality of the lords of the flame, through their enduring sacrifice. Man becomes a conscious ego, with the consciousness of the higher self, at the third initiation, through the instrumentality of the masters and of the Christ, and through their sacrifice in taking physical incarnation for the helping of the world. Man unites with the monad at the fifth initiation, through the instrumentality of the Lord of the world, the solitary watcher, the great sacrifice. Man becomes one with the logos through the instrumentality of one, about whom not may be said. Initiation, Human, and Solar, by Alice A. Bailey, 1922. Isis Unveil, Volume 2, Chapter 2 In these celebrated rites, although persons of both sexes and all classes were allowed to take a part, and a participation in them was even obligatory, very few indeed attained the higher and final initiation. The gradation of the mysteries is given us by Proclus in the fourth book of his Theology of Plato. The perfective rite, tau epsilon lambda epsilon tau, proceeds in order the initiation, euesis and initiation, apoptia or the final apocalypse, revelation. Theon of Smyrna, in Mathematica, also divides the mystic rites into five parts, the first of which is the previous purification, for neither are the mysteries communicated to all who are willing to receive them, there are certain persons who are prevented by the voice of the crier, since it is necessary that such as are not expelled from the mysteries should first be refined by certain purifications which the reception of the sacred rites succeeds. The third part is denominated apoptia or reception. And the fourth, which is the end and design of the revelation, is the binding of the head and fixing of the crowns, whether after this he, the initiated person becomes, a hierophant or sustains some other part of the sacerdotal office. But the fifth, which is produced from all these, is friendship and interior communion with God. And this was the last and most awful of all the mysteries. There are writers who have often wondered at the meaning of this claim to a friendship and interior communion with God. Christian authors have denied the pretensions of the pagans to such communion, affirming that only Christian saints were and are capable of enjoying it, materialistic skeptics have altogether scoffed at the idea of both. After long ages of religious materialism and spiritual stagnation, it has most certainly become difficult, if not altogether impossible, to substantiate the claims of either party. The old Greeks, who had once crowded around the Agora of Athens, with its altar to the unknown god, are no more, and their descendants firmly believe that they have found the unknown in the Jewish Jehovah. The divine ecstasies of the early Christians have made room for visions of a more modern character, in perfect keeping with progress and civilization. H. P. Blavatsky The Son of Man appearing to the rapt vision of the ancient Christian is coming from the seventh heaven, in a cloud of glory and surrounded with angels and winged seraphim, has made room for a more prosaic, and at the same time more businesslike Jesus. The latter is now shown as making morning calls upon Mary and Martha in Bethany, as seating himself on the ottoman with the younger sister, a lover of ethics, while Martha goes off to the kitchen to cook. Anon the heated fancy of a blasphemous Brooklyn preacher and Harlequin, the Reverend Dr. Talmadge, makes us see her rushing back with besweated brow, a pitcher in one hand, and the tongs in the other, into the presence of Christ, and blowing him up for not caring that her sister hath left her to serve alone. 
From the birth of the solemn and majestic conception of the unrevealed deity of the ancient adepts to such caricature descriptions of him who died on the cross for his philanthropic devotion to humanity, long centuries have intervened, and their heavy tread seems to have almost entirely obliterated all sense of a spiritual religion from the hearts of his professed followers. No wonder then, that the sentence of Proclus is no longer understood by the Christians and is rejected as a vagary by the materialists, who in their negation, are less blasphemous and atheistical than many of the reverends and members of the churches. But, although the Greek apopti are no more, we have now, in our own age, a people far more ancient than the oldest Hellenes, who practice the so-called preterhuman gifts to the same extent as did their ancestors far earlier than the days of Troy. It is to this people that we draw the attention of the psychologist and philosopher. One need not go very deep into the literature of the Orientalists to become convinced that in most cases they do not even suspect that in the arcane philosophy of India, there are depths which they have not sounded, and cannot sound, for they pass on without perceiving them. There is a pervading tone of conscious superiority, a ring of contempt in the treatment of Hindu metaphysics, as though the European mind is alone enlightened enough to polish the rough diamond of the old Sanskrit writers, and separate right from wrong for the benefit of their descendants. We see them disputing over the external forms of expression, without a conception of the great vital truths these hide from the profane view. H. P. Blavatsky Now you might think it impossible that the angelic host could get into the business world, laughter, but it's not so impossible. Whenever anyone does anything constructive in those channels and requires protection against that which is destructive, it's absolutely imperative for an angel of protection, whose authority of love blazes its power of the sacred fire, to come and stand the guard around the individual and his or her actions, in order to allow that which is constructive to be accomplished. So, if you don't have the angelic host acknowledged, accepted, and allowed to draw their sacred fire of eternal love into your business activities, you don't have any constructive activities in those channels. May I say to you tonight, and I ask you to command your outer selves to realize, that if you understand me tonight, my words are of more importance to you than all the gold on the earth. I don't believe anyone would have any trouble keeping awake if I suddenly held here before you great quantities of gold. If you saw it coming out of the atmosphere, there wouldn't be a sleepy person in the room, I'm sure of it. Laughter. And why do you suppose that idea of gold and wealth has such a hypnotic control over the feeling and the attention of the outer self? Because the outer self thinks it's going to get everything it wants if it has a lot of gold or a lot of money. And that again is simply the suggestion of the human. If you had all the power or activities of the sacred fire of this immortal love of the angelic host in your outer affairs that your higher mental body wants you to have there, you wouldn't have anything but perfection. That sacred fire could become for you on the moment, the physical manifestation of anything you would require to produce perfection and fulfill the divine plan. I want you to begin to realize that this immortal flame of cosmic love of which I speak is the great wealth of all creation. There is the source of wealth. There is the source of immortal power. There is the victory of the mighty I am present supreme, because without that flame of love from the angelic host that guards all that is constructive on this planet, you would not even have a world. Beloved Archangel Michael Now what is the requirement of life? 
Now what is the law and its cosmic demand upon you to produce perfection here? Do you not see where the power is? The power is in the sacred fire of love that is the perfection of life from the great central sun, because on the moment that love can produce, in physical form, whatever substance it requires. And if you just have physical money and physical gold, it won't do that for you. It couldn't suddenly become food for you if there were no food on the planet. It couldn't become a roof over your head if you couldn't transmute it into something, trade it for something else. But this flame of love of which I speak can become anything on the instant that you require in the physical world. Therefore, you do need this flame of love. And since the world is taking its initiation in love, I mean the great immortal purity and peace of cosmic Christ love from the great central sun, then what you're going to require in the future is the conscious concentration of this flame of our love which the angelic host alone bring forth. And that, you will find, will be supply of everything. Within that pure divine love of the mighty I am presence in the great central sun, is the supply and the all of everything to create whole systems of worlds. Do you think you could lack if you fill your world with that flame? Do you think you can lack if you demand that your business affairs be the immortal victory of the angelic host's eternal love? How could you lack? How could you fail? How could you become discouraged or doubt or fear or feel uncertain if their great flame of love abides with you? You don't know the power of love, my dear ones. If you did, you would never allow anything else in your world. And if there is something else in your world which is not that love, you are all authority to order it out tonight, and replace it by the immortal victorious love of the great angelic host, to bring to you the supply of everything, to become for you the release of all you'll ever require, to fulfill the great divine plan. Beloved Archangel Michael, 